everybody welcome to the 118th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in southern oregon but probably i don't know how many more shows i'm gonna do at this apartment which i'm very happy a little sad about but i I think it's time for this little boy to come back home and home is pdx so i'm very very happy to uh be planning this move i mean big life news on the pod for my man sage graduating from college super proud of of my boy cannot wait for you to to finally get back in portland um it's been too long i remember when it was like 2013 it was yeah 2013 we were we were hooping at the north park blocks on gleason and you're like i gotta go to southern oregon I got a gig. I want to finish school down there. I'll be gone two years max. And I'm like, what am I going to do without my best bud for two years? <laughs> Four years five later. Year, five years later. <laughs> five years later. Oh, damn, it's been too long. Yeah, man. I, you know, your boy is now a uh, communications. Uh, I got my communications degree with uh, communications broadcasting, which, you know, I. I my mom was uh, guilt-tripping me about Sage Digital being my only source of income. Wow, we're, we're talking about real-life stuff before we get into this podcast. That's how we roll <laughs> in the off-season, Sage. Alright, well, so my mom was giving me grief about, like, Sage Digital doesn't make as much. You might need to, you know, get a job at a radio station. And first thing, I was like, if any sports radio station ever listens to the Holy Backboard, I'm not ever going to get hired. First and foremost, I'm just not getting hired from them. Second, <laughs> I look at all these jobs and it's like I'm way overqualified for every on-air speaking job. It's like, yo, I've done th- I've done this shit for eight years, man. Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, broadcasting has been a beautiful thing. I like to shoot from the hip. I know Portland Radio won't like that, so we gotta make this whole this Sage Digital shit work. <laughs> so yeah, man, but it, it's happening. I'm pretty excited about it. Get to see my homies, get to uh, see more people, and uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I've told I've told the the necessary crew that yeah, I, I'm planning on moving up in the next two months. Uh, next few weeks months yeah so very excited but what makes me more excited is watching players that i know are gonna suck in the next level of sport play in the combine in five on five did you really watch the bullshit ass (laughs) combine that lower tier first round picks like chandler hutchinson are even saying no i'm too good for this he got a promise that he was gonna be like a twenty to thirty pick. If if you, <laughs> that's gotta be the dumbest motherfucking agent in the world. Mm-hmm. You're getting promised that you're a, a low first round pick. Go work your ass off and move up into the late lottery. It's not after the first seven eight picks, anybody can go anywhere. It's a very deep draft. 
I think you're going to see a lot of a uh, lot of movement, mm-hmm. especially on draft night. And if you're Chandler Hutchinson, I get it. You want that first round money, that guaranteed contract. But at the same time, you probably don't want to go to too good of a team because your ass ain't going to see the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dog. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do all this extra draft stuff for the holy backboard uh, using 2K as a medium, and these. These damn 2K teams keep taking the guys I want to do videos on and shit. So, Chandler, you might have fucked up saying that you're going to make it in the lotto. Everything I've read about this dude is he's super lucky there aren't any other talented wings in his tier. Because he'll be a first round pick because of the, the lack of quality in that in that position. This is one of the first years, maybe not in a long time, but... Obviously, the I believe we didn't have a pick in 2014, and we didn't have a pick in 2016. Yeah, was it the Aflalo? Yeah, 2014 was the Gerald Wallace trade. 2016 was the Aflalo deal. And then in 2015, we, we traded our pick for Mason Plumley, um, But we still had that pick. But 2014, 2016, and now 2018, I don't know if it's some, some even-year sorcery, but I just don't feel very prepared for this draft. Um, and I pride myself on watching, you know, quite a bit of college basketball, mm-hmm. watching the the strength and weakness videos of, of the prospects, which Draft Express used to do. Used they to don't do. Now, that, yeah. now that they went over to bullshit ESPN Insider. Um, you know, congratulations for cashing out, but your content was so much better mm-hmm. uh, on DX. But this Blazer season was such a roller coaster that we started off so terribly that I kind of got into it. You know, I went to the PK 80, scouted mm. some players, watched, um, watched a lot of college hoops. And then all of a sudden we, we start to pick it up in early 2018. We go on that 13 game win streak and we're on this podcast and I'm talking about at the deadline, let's move our pick for a veteran. Uh, let's get Dame some help. You know, we're going to go deep in the playoffs, maybe even the Western conference finals run. Drinking that Kool-Aid horde. Horde. Super horde. (laughs) And now I'm back to, oh, God, we got to just stockpile on draft picks because we are so far away from contending that the team that swept us only beat the Warriors once. So we have leaps and bounds to get to the Western Conference Finals, let alone the NBA Finals. And now we're back into, okay, now who are we going to pick? What are we going to do with that? Uh, at 24, you don't have a lot of options, but that doesn't mean you cannot find a diamond in the rough. I mean, we've seen Tony Parker was taken uh, late in the first round. Manu Ginobili was late in the second round. Isaiah Thomas was uh, the NBA's equivalent of Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, speaking of just Portland, they got Terry Porter late in the first. Um, I believe Joe Kersey was a second rounder. Cliff Robinson was a second rounder. I mean, they have done a great job. They got Sabonis, and Sabonis was a, a mid-first. Petrovic was a second. Jermaine O'Neal was like a 17. So they have found gems before. I know it's not necessarily the same person making the picks, but just because you're picking late in the first doesn't mean you can't find someone good. Now, does that mean that player even exists? That that's to be determined. I mean, the, it could just be a, a terrible draft where there's only a couple of good players and most of them are taken away in the lottery and you're not going to find any steals. But 
the fact of the matter is, you don't know until you try. So I think Portland really needs to identify the best player available, regardless of position. We are not at the spot with our roster talent-wise where we should be drafting based on need. I am a huge proponent of not drafting for need. You find your needs in free agency. Portland, with the mid-level exception, draft. You take the best player available. They're going to be on a a really good cost-controlled rookie contract for the next three to five years. And you can really reap the rewards of a guy making two to three million dollars in comparison to Myers making nine, Evan making 17, you know, Mo making 10 or 11. So you just get a really great value. Stu, one of the loyal listeners, actually sent me a list of like the best pick 24s from the last 24 years. And like there's Andre Karolinko, there's. Uh, Kyle Lowry, there's Sam Cassell, Monty Williams. So there are decent players out there, but if you look at it, and there's this wonderful basketball site that I use a lot called uh, BourbonStreetShots.com, and they have a thing called the value of a draft pick. And basically, for pick 24, you have a 1 in 9 chance at picking a player that's going to be good enough to be on your team. So... Of course, there's still that chance, but it's a one in nine chance. So it's, it's, you gotta, our GM has to trust what he sees, what the scout sees, and pick that one in nine player. It's probably too early to go into real in depth perspectives on some of the players that the Blazers will be bringing in for workouts. But off the top of your head, Sage, give me a handful of names, our listeners should be looking out for maybe going immediately to YouTube and and scouting, putting their own opinions on on these players, guys that you think might deserve to be drafted, like that could really make an impact for the Trailblazers. Well, I think, number one, I think when you're looking at these prospects, you have to think of what the Portland Trailblazers value the most. And... Number one, Neil O'Shea wants to sound smart, so that's number one. But number two, I think, is positional flexibility. If you look at our roster, everybody can play multiple positions. So if we're looking at a guard, he can't be too short or not have a long enough wingspan to defend twos because inevitably he's going to have to guard twos because Dame is going to play the majority of the minutes at the one. So when when looking at positional flexibility, I think the guy I think the uh, that I like the most is Bruce Brown. He's been my guy for a long time. One hell of a defender, rebounds at a really good rate. He's 6'5", but he's he's going to play like a dog, Play one, defend one through three. So in the bench, you know, when it's CJ is the lead guard, you can put Bruce in to hound the lead ball handler. That's my number one prospect for a long time when, you know, when you're thinking of players that the Blazers can pick. I think we both love Kyrie Thomas, the kid out of Creighton with the the, the six eight wingspan of a guard. I think it's like six eleven. Jesus, I, I think this team needs more dogs. He's a two time Big East Defensive mm-hmm. Player of the Year, so I will fully admit I have not seen Kyrie Thomas play. He is a player that when I saw, you know, you see a shooting guard six four, you're like little undersized, but then that wingspan comes out. Wingspan is 
I know Jay Billis, Jay Billis gets crap all the time for saying Wingspan. There's even a Jay Billis drinking game during the draft. But Wingspan is that metric that you just can't teach. Mm. And all of the great defenders have really had it. Gary Payton's had it. Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Scotty Pippen. Rudy. Um, exactly. Yeah. And if you're able to cover ground um, side to side, that just helps immensely in the passing lanes on switching, um, grabbing those rebounds. But I really like him as a prospect. And once I saw that Minx ban, I'm going to start checking him out because mm-hmm. I have a feeling that he's going to be a guy Portland should look after. You know, I, I've seen him as high as, you know, right on the cusp of the lottery. And some have had him near the end of the first round. Mm-hmm. So I don't think these mock drafts really are dialed in quite just yet. The guy you mentioned, Bruce Brown, um, I'm looking right now, NBADraft.net. I know not the most reputable uh, mock draft, but it's just the one I decided to pull up. They have him at 39. Mm-hmm. So he could be a second-round steal. Um, a second-round steal that I really like, and I do not know why he's not considered a first-round pick, is Shemezi Metu. Uh, he's a center from USC. Watched him play against uh, the Ducks quite a bit. And the guy's got bounce. I mean, if people really liked Bam out of Bayou, from Kentucky last year, who made a lot of good moves uh, with the Miami Heat. Reminds me kind of a lot of that. He's very bouncy. He can finish at the rim off the lob. Uh, just one of the best pure shot blockers that I've seen in college basketball. And I know Portland has, has Nurkic, whose future is is kind of up in the air. And we all love Ed Davis. But we kind of stubbed our toe and shot ourselves in our own foot by not getting a second round pick and getting a guy like Jordan Bell last year. He could have filled that void. You know, defense wins mm. in, in games. When we saw tonight um, as the Rockets put the clamps down on the Warriors, I mean, you can only outscore somebody so many times. Like if you're able to get stops and especially in today's NBA, able to guard multiple positions on the floor and multiple areas of areas of, of the floor, not just the interior, not just the perimeter. If you're able to switch both, both areas of the floor, it's vital for teams, especially like Portland, who loves to switch everything on the defensive end. Uh, keep your eye out on, on Metu. Uh, almost every mock draft has him at the beginning of the second round. So it would be wonderful if Portland could somehow buy a pick or you know trade a future pick to, to get up there, a uh, future second round pick, excuse me, to get up there and get him. Um, another guy that I think Blazer fans should keep an eye out on, and don't roll your eyes because he is a point guard, but Aaron Holiday, yeah, all right. out of UC, out of UCLA, he's a junior, declared early, and I watched a lot of UCLA basketball, especially against the Ducks. But just in general, they were, you know, they made the tournament, um, and he he is that dog. Like he mm-hmm. he's the brother of Drew, he is the brother of Justin, so they have that basketball pedigree, and he only got better as the season went along. And I think he's a guy that he reminds me. I don't know if he reminds me a lot in terms of style of play of a former UCLA point guard in Darren Collison, but I can see him having a long lasting career like Darren Collison. If you can get a Darren Collison type pick prospect at 24, you take it and run and you don't look back. Um, I know we have Damian Lillard. I know he's the point God of Rip City. I know everyone loves Wade Baldwin's potential and we still Shabazz Napier up in the air. But again, Portland is not good enough to say, Ooh, we don't need a point guard. We need to draft another yeah. position. That's the same shit that got us in trouble in 84. You mm. take the best 
fucking player possible. And if that's Aaron Holiday, you make it work. If it has to come at the expense of Shabazz Napier, then, I mean, that's 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 just business. That's basketball. That's what happens. And I am one of the biggest Shabazz Napier fans in, in Rip City. Um, Wade Baldwin can slide over and maybe play some 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 two as well. And but if you really Aaron, feel like Holiday, yeah, Aaron's a dog enough to play too. He can play too. I mean, the person he reminds me of, and this is only defensively, he moves like his brother Drew, and that makes me think that. He's the, he has the dog. He moves just like his brother, who, on a podcast that no one will ever hear because audio issues, you said was a first team all defensive play. Drew's a first team defensive player. If I think Aaron moves just like him, it's very powerfully built. They're both very powerfully built athletes. If he can get in a NBA system where he can show off that movement skills. And how much he loves this game, he could be a really good defender. Even though he's only six six feet, he's six a little one. he's a little guy, but that heart isn't little. He's really he is willing to battle. If Portland somehow acquires a lottery pick, who's your guy, Sage? I think it's got to be Miles Miles Bridges. I mean, we've 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 man crushed about him for two years now. I think that he is the type of small forward, power forward swing that could really help us. Let's see who else. I, I mean, Miles is my guy. I've watched him for two years. He's expanded his game. He's playing. He played a new position for him, which was a little different, but he still put up numbers. He's still the the athlete we haven't had in such a, like. When's the last time the Blazers have had an athlete like Miles Bridges running the wing? Jerome Kersey. Jerome Kersey, yeah. Stacey Ogman. Um. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. So if we can get that type of athlete and he can mesh with Dame CJ, that's great. What I think is more likely is we buy a second round pick 30 through 40. But if we can get a lotto, I'm all about that. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I like Miles Bridges. I have a feeling he's going to drop a little bit um, and could maybe slide out of the lottery. But two names for me, if we buy or if we acquire a late lotto pick, another name to keep an eye on is a 6-6 point guard out of Kentucky, Shai Gilgius Alexander, really came on strong. He was the lowest rated recruit of Kentucky's five, yet he was their best player and probably going to go the highest in the draft. It'll be between he and Kevin Knox, but he has the length that would allow a Dame to play off the ball or he could guard off the ball. I mean, you could get away with that. I mean, I think he is Colin Sexton is, is a nice, nice guard from, from Alabama. I really like his game as well, but I think uh, Alexander is going to be the best point guard out of the draft. I mean, I said it about Dennis Smith jr. Last year, he was my guy. I really like shy out of Kentucky. Um, watch some clips of him. An, an amazing player. And I think he's only scratching the surface. If we move into the top five, Portland must take Mo Bamba from Texas. Seven feet, 225, seven foot 11 wingspan. Really feel like he could be the next addition of a Rudy Gobert. And if you can, I I don't know why he's not being talked about going number one. I, I think he's going to be that important. And I wasn't super high on him until I saw the Jazz and Rudy Gobert specifically come back to health and make that run. And it was really because of his defense and 
you give, I mean, you watch the Warriors and, and Rockets tonight, they were all playing swingmen. There is no answer for a defender down there like Gobert. He is such a difference maker, and it's, it throws out such a different look than what every team's doing right now. So, you know, I would love Portland to not fall in love with the current movement that the, maybe the Warriors or Rockets are doing. Try to do something different. Do what the Jazz are doing. Do what the, the grit and grind Grizzlies were trying to do and go the opposite way because basketball ebbs and flows. Styles change as as eras, you know, come and go. It's not going to be this way forever. So look for the next, you know, try to be, you know, quote unquote trailblazer and find the next, you know, phenom. And I think both he and DeAndre Ayton are going to be just studs. Obviously, we're not going to give the number one pick, uh, but we have heard Atlanta, Memphis are, are open to possibly trading their picks. And, you know, there's a couple dumb GMs up in the, the top of the lottery that you might be able to swoon in and get 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 some value there. Zigging while everybody's zagging. So exactly speaking, uh, there there is another uh, like if we're talking picks in the lottery that this that Kentucky get Kentucky guy Hamadou Diallo, I think oh, he like, won't be in the lottery. Oh, uh, did I say lottery? I said yeah. I mean, thirty through forty second rounders. Okay, I thought okay. he was a lottery pick when I saw him earlier in the year, and then he fell out of rotation pretty bad. I would like to take a chance on him. And I would love it if Mike Rice is back trying to pronounce his first name. I mean, he's definitely got upside, but you worry about a player who could have entered the draft last year, would have been a first-round pick, goes to Kentucky, I think because he went to prep school, and really didn't make an impact at all. Um, He's the guy I would have loved to have seen gone back to school, because now you're essentially having to spend millions of dollars in acquiring that pick and then paying him Mm. money to play. And he's basically just going to be a G leaguer. So it's definitely a risk that Portland can afford to take because they need to go big or go home. Essentially. Is there a chance we buy a second rounder or buy a pick in general? I was pissed. They didn't do it last year. I Sage, I I really have no fucking clue what Neil Olshay is doing. Because we do have an expiring asset in Alan Crabb, which we could use to... I would love it if we happened to spend our $2 million purchase a pick in the, you know, the, the nice part of the second. Get a guy that high risk, high reward. If he, tr- if he works out, awesome. If he doesn't, it's just, you know, $2 million out of Paul Allen's, you know, wallet, which, you know... We're going to have to spend money if we're going to be competing. So if we can find a, a gem in the second, all I the mean, better. Philly's got four second-round picks. Orlando's got two. Um, Phoenix has a grip of picks. So there, there's there's room. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's room to maneuver with so many picks. Or you could just trade you know, one of the second-round picks this year for one of our futures so you're not stockpiling all of your you know pieces right now. So is there anything else you want to talk NBA before we get to our TBT? I just want to like shout out LeBron James. Like he's been the only redeeming quality of, of this postseason. The dude is it, it he's like a fine wine. I know Kobe Bryant was kind of whack and gave himself a no his own nickname which is bullshit, but LeBron really should have been Vino. The dude is aging like a fine wine and He's better now than I think he's ever been. 
on just a dog shit ass team. I I mean, it, it's you. You're at a loss for words watching him play because not only is he the the focal point on offense, but he's actually looking to pass. Um, he's averaging I think almost nine assists a game this this postseason, almost ten rebounds, and you know well over thirty points. So he's on his way to almost a playoff triple double while leading his team to victory and playing pretty damn good defense too. And he's going up against the best the East has to offer, you know, a surprising Indiana, Indiana team, uh, the number one seed Raptors, which they swept. And now I believe the one of the best coaches in the entire NBA, Brad Stevens and, you know, the young Boston Celtics. So he's not had an easy road to the, the finals and they're really, I mean, it's tied at two, two, but if, if he gets it there, and if he somehow finds a way to beat either Houston or Golden State, I will wholeheartedly be on the LeBron is better than Jordan wagon. I think it's so close right now, but if he's able to take this team and beat a super a 65 win rocket team or a four all star, you know, superhuman Golden State team, that that's something that that Jordan never had to do. And I know people may be tired of hearing those comparisons, you know, ad nauseum, but you know, I think it's fun because it's it's a finally a legit debate. There there is no more debate between the the top two players. Those are the top two. I don't want there's I don't think there's anyone else you could realistically make an argument for. I mean, LeBron just passed Kareem for most playoff field goals of all time. And you know, it makes for a fun debate. Obviously, you got the stands of each player coming in and really only pumping their agenda with their hand selected statistics, but for people like me who I grew up watching Jordan, I was never, see, I was never a Jordan fan because he kept Portland from winning a title in 92. And obviously we could have picked him, but, and, and, I, and I've, you know, I've seen LeBron graduated high school the same year as I did. So we're the same age. So obviously I've seen his career grow and, you know, went from really enjoying LeBron to hating him in Miami for, for doing that. And then, you know, loving him now for what he's doing, not only on the court, but off the court. Um, I like LeBron 10 times more than Jordan as, as a person, as, as just watching him, um, you know, actually take a stand politically and be that activist that I think it is tough to do. And we're seeing, you know, with, with, with Cap and, you know, now LeBron to a certain extent, but just straight basketball wise, I've always maintained that, that Jordan was the best. Like I have never seen anyone just, he's like a cockroach. You just can't kill him. But LeBron, if he continues what he's doing now, um, shouldering a load because, you know, we can all say he won his championships with – he had two in Miami with two future Hall of Famers and he had one in Golden State with Kyrie's on his way and Kevin Love was an all-star. So he had a stacked team in Golden State – or excuse me, against Golden State. If he can get this fourth with this team right now, like I don't see how you could ever – debate it. I mean, it's, he has just been such a joy to watch. That's, that's really the series that I've been tuning into, been intrigued by, um, because you just never know what he's going to do on a nightly basis. Can I be real? I have not watched a second of the Western Conference Finals. I hate watching both teams so much. So I just, I'll watch the Eastern Conference, but you know, it's be on my phone or whatever. I refuse to watch Houston play basketball. I mean, I've, 
I had game one on for a little bit. Game two was great because Houston was thrashing Golden State. I didn't see hardly a lick of game three. And then I, I was watching, you know, Netflix and, you know, saw, okay, Houston's up at the half. So I tuned it on, um, kind of do some errands and then heard Golden State was on a run. So I just completely tuned out and then looked back and I was like, okay, it's a game again. So I'll watch it if I know it's close. And this has really been the only close game, but God damn, that was ugly basketball. Like I tweeted out, they need to move the three-point line back because players and teams and coaches need to be discouraged from mm. hunting threes. From the six-minute mark on to the end of the game, nearly every single shot, I kid you not, was a three, a forced three. Um, off of the pick and roll, it was a three. It was like, God damn, does anyone have a fucking post move? Can anyone take anybody off the dribble? Like, let's do something else. And this is coming from someone who, when they play basketball, hangs around the three-point line (laughs) and does nothing else. You're a sharpshooter, my friend, but... That's all I do, but doesn't mean I like watching nothing but threes. And it it was just, it was ugly basketball Mm -hmm. from two quote-unquote elite teams. And, you know, I get the small balls, the function right now, but if you're a guard, learn some post moves and nobody will be able to fuck with you. If you're a big... Start learning to handle the ball early. Learn to switch on defense. So if they play you in the game late, you're all over the place and nobody's going to stop you down low. Like, let's get back to the basics a little bit and quit just jacking up three after three after three. And I know I'm sounding like an old man and get off my lawn, but I know good basketball when I see it. And this game was not good basketball. So... uh what out of all of the blazers victories in the past or the present why did you choose this game 5 the the 90 playoffs why did you choose this game in particular against the suns well one youtube has been really bring, <laughs> bringing the bringing the hammer down on, on people hosting full-length games which is bullshit because come on it's like 30 years ago like let's let people watch some games i mean nba tv isn't showing classic games anymore like it's there's nowhere to find these games like if there was a channel dedicated just to old games i would subscribe to it Mm -hmm. like i i love watching these these games like i was only i was probably only four or five years old at the time uh, of this game uh you my friend weren't even born i wasn't even born man so that's one of the reasons. Another reason was I became a fan. Well, I actually realized what basketball was the fall after this run. So the fall of 1990 is when I can remember actually watching games and maybe going to, uh, I think I went to the, there was a Blazer Sonics game at Gill Coliseum in, in Corvallis. That was my first game I ever saw. And that was in the 91 uh, season. So it was basically the same cast of characters for Portland, and I've always been kind of enamored by it because, like I said, that's not when I started. And I had two VHSs growing up, the 91 season yearbook and the 92 season yearbook. I scoured, you know, everywhere trying to find the – I knew there was a 1991 out there. I saw it at a Hollywood video once. God, that's a throwback ass (laughs) – Oh, you got it. And, you know, I couldn't find it. Um, thankfully, my beloved wife found it online, bought it for me, and I've, I've been able to watch it a couple of times. Um, but it, that, that year, 8990 still 
is a little bit of of a mystery to me. And so anytime I get a chance to watch those games, I mean, I, I've really never seen more than just small highlights of the first round series against Dallas. Um, thankfully, I was able to watch every single game against the Spurs that that seven game series. Someone had it on YouTube, all all seven. So I watched those. And of course, the finals games, I mean, the finals were the most prestigious games of the NBA season. So they're widely available. For whatever reason, this Phoenix series has been hard to find games to watch. And I was thankful that when I searched Blazers Suns, I don't know why I wanted to watch the Suns, but game five came up. And I thought this series was incredibly intriguing for, uh, uh, you know, really a number of reasons. Portland was coming off of a 39 win season the year before. They fired Mike Schuler halfway through and Rick Adelman took over. And really only finished with a 14 and 21 record. The Blazers were kind of at a crossroads. They had all the talent in the world. And I think they made the best trade in franchise history. They traded Sam Bowie and acquired Buck Williams. That put them over the hump. Mm. And Sage, they came out of nowhere. They had a 20 game turnaround. And at the time set the franchise record for most wins in the season with 59. They ended up with the the second best record in the Pacific Division behind the Los Angeles Lakers, who I believe, geez, had made three consecutive NBA Finals appearances. Um, they had lost to the Pistons the year before. Uh, Magic Johnson was the MVP, and it was it what turned out to be Pat Riley's last year, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's last year, but. The Phoenix Suns were able to knock them off. Mm-hmm. You know, they knocked them off in the conference semifinals, which really opened the path up for Portland after they beat both Dallas and San Antonio. So now you have two Pacific Division rivals, Portland 59 wins, Phoenix at 54 wins, going at it. And the Phoenix was such a good team, but it had to have been so frustrating for them in the early part of the 90s because you beat the 63-win Lakers, and now you can't get over the Blazer hump. The next year, they don't get out of the first round against the Jazz. The following year, they lose in the, the conference semifinals to Portland. I mean, they just weren't able to ever get over that hump. But man, did they have a... They had such a fun roster to watch. Mm-hmm. Kevin Johnson, he's had some off-the-court issues since, but while he was playing was really one of the elite point guards. And I think injuries really have hampered his legacy on the court. I don't think he ever got the love of a Gary Payton, a Jason Kidd, a John Stockton, really even Tim Hardaway to a, to an extent. Mm. But when he was healthy, he was, I think, a top three point guard. He was dynamic in this game. He reminded me really of a much better... Remember when Steve Francis came into the league? Oh, I love Steve Francis. And was just killing people. Mm. Kevin Johnson was like Steve Francis, but better. But smarter. Quicker, but smarter. Yeah. And he could play off the ball. He, he could he could handle the point. Then you throw in Jeff Hornacek, who I know people look at him and see old white guy who can't move. But you know what? Joe Ingles busted Oklahoma City's ass, and Jeff Hornacek was four times the player that Joe Ingles was. The student was an all-star. He was the centerpiece of the deal. That got Charles. Fe- that got, yeah, exactly. They got Phoenix Charles Barkley. And we, we talk about Larry Bird. This dude could shoot the ball just as well. You did not want to give him uh, an open look at all. Like, he, 
he had one of the, the best and longest careers of 90s shooting guards that, again, I don't think he gets the recognition of a Drexler, a Miller, um, a Jordan in, in the 90s. But Hornacek had a fantastic career. Um, Tom Chambers was not quite peak Chambers, but he was still able to give you 20 a night. They had really athletic uh, bigs and Mark West. And then you had an emerging Dan Marley off your bench. Mm-hmm. You had sweet shooting Eddie Johnson, who always gave the Blazers fits. And when you have shooters back in you know the 90s, they weren't as prevalent as they were now. But you could not leave them open. And Portland had to be, be, be aware of, of, of all of those weapons that the Phoenix had at their disposal. And what made Game 5 for me so intriguing was Portland was undefeated at home throughout the postseason. They didn't have too much trouble with Dallas, but they went seven with San Antonio. They won all five, or excuse me, all four home games against the Spurs. One was a double overtime game in game five. Uh, the other was the game seven overtime where they won by three. The Phoenix games, I don't think could have been any closer at home. We won game one by two points, 198. Game two, we erased a 22-point halftime deficit and ended up winning by one, 108-107. We get blown out big time in game three by 34 points and by by 12 in game four. And, and by this time, Portland is basically playing every other day. Um, they didn't space the, the, the playoffs out as much as they did before. And because of the long series with San Antonio, Portland is now having to play a lot of games and if you don't remember, Kevin Duckworth injured broke his, hand. His, broke his hand in Game 3 of the Dallas series. Wayne Cooper was also injured in Game 3 of the Dallas series. And Buck Williams injured his eye in Game 3 of the Dallas series that Portland ended up winning by by 14 points. But Buck, uh, Buck now wore the goggles because of that incident. Duckworth was out the first six games, and Cooper really only came back for two of those San Antonio games. So not only are you playing a game every other night, but you've got your core of Fliffy, Drexler, Porter, and Buck playing massive minutes. Mm -hmm. And the maniacs at the Memorial Coliseum really fueled them and provided them the energy to go out there, hustle on defense, get out on the fast break, you know, just really focus. And on the road, you saw them kind of not let down, but when you're that tired and exhausted, and we're talking you're in late May, you haven't played this long into the postseason and n- none of the players mm-hmm. had. You get worn down. And so that's why game five was so pivotal and why I was so so thrilled to find it. You know, I had seen some highlights of it, but to actually watch the full game, watch how the game has changed and evolved. Oh my God, dog. It's insane. If this was NBA 2K or 2017 basketball, you would have seen Hornacek and Marley just shoot nothing but threes. But because they are smart basketball players, they passed up sort of open threes, lightly contested threes, for slam dunks to to their bigs to get them more motivated to play. Like culture shock when you go from watching the NBA playoffs now to this 90s game. They talked about how fast the Portland Trailblazers played in this game. And admittedly, they were running. They were busting their ass. But if you watch this day and age, seven seconds or less offense that D'Antoni 
and all of his coaching tree does, they're still they'd be like the fifteenth ranked team in pace. The game's gone, the game's changed, and seeing this type of basketball is refreshing. And what's funny is, outside of probably the mid to late nineties when the Knicks and the Heat started maybe mucking it up a bit, and you got a little bit, it got a little muddled uh, for some teams. The eighties, the early nineties, um, and really. I would say from the seven seconds or less suns till current, you're still seeing triple digits on the scoreboard. There's not mm. a lot of variance. Uh, Phoenix averaged probably close to 110 points. This series failed to break a hundred only once. Um, Portland outside of that 89 point um, kind of awful performance in game three scored hundred points in every game um, and probably averaged close to 110 as well. So you're still getting points. And it's why it's it's funny to me that you hear Daryl Morey say it's either got to be a three or a layup. That that's not true because we've seen throughout eras that if you just work the ball around and heaven forbid shoot a mid range shot, if you're skilled and have fundamentals, you're still going to put up points and shoot a great field goal percentage. I I, I mean, Buck Williams in that first quarter set the set the tone because Duck was missing a lot of gimmies in this game. So it was up to Cliff and it was up to Duck to get those Kobe assists. Like, they talked about the hustle board in 1990. And it's still prevalent in shit that we say today. The hustle board is important. In that first half, the Blazers dominated it. And it was on, I would say, Buck in the first quarter and then Drexler, and a little bit of Kersey for the rest of the game. And, I mean, Terry Porter hitting back-to-back threes never hurts. Yeah, Portland had a seven-point lead at halftime, and while watching the game, I kept expecting them to to pull away, to Mm -hmm. pull away. But it was really a battle of, of two fantastic teams. Every time Portland would score, Kevin Johnson would almost be like, okay, guys, like get on my back, I'm gonna make shit happen. And he's either going to get to the bucket and score, or he's going to dish it off to Mark West for a finish. Chambers was really ahead of his time as a 6'10 big out in that perimeter. Um, he was even before a Cliff Robinson shooting those jumpers. He was a three-point threat. Uh, he would get it going. And, I mean, you just knew, like, buckle up. Like, we're ready for uh, a long back-and-forth series. And, and Sage, like, that postseason run, I know it didn't end as we all wanted uh, with the loss to Detroit, but nearly every game was such a exhilarating finish. Like you didn't know what was going to happen. And like, I really hope you had some Tums or some heart medicine if you were watching that game because it was back and forth, complete roller coaster. We talk about the Ripsey roller coaster. Nothing could compare to, I think that was one of like the craziest postseasons looking back in history for Portland. I mean, just because of the series and, you know, the rules that we put along the the, the series, we're not watching losses. So I knew the end result. But it was still surprising to see that they the Suns always had that answer. They always had that answer. Kevin Johnson was a bad motherfucker in his time. He would go through this tough, rugged interior for the Blazers and get those like circus shot lands to fall. 
And the game was so important for Portland because you don't want to go down to Phoenix, an arena that we still to this day do not have success in. I know it's not the Madhouse on McDowell, but for game six, Portland had lost their last, after beating Dallas in game three by 14, they lost their last five on the road, three to San Antonio and two to Phoenix, all by double figures. So if you go down 3-2, your back is against that wall. Mm-hmm. You have to protect your home court. And watching that that photo finish, you know, Phoenix coming back, taking a lead, uh, Portland doing whatever they could. Like you said, we don't watch losses. I was like, is Portland going to win this game? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Some of the things that, like, it, it's... With with our center that we have today, I think he's very talented. But Duckworth on transition attempts, he's probably the same size as Nurk, right? Seven yeah. one, three hundred pounds. Duckworth, with how big of his body is and how I'm assuming playing with a broken hand sucks, he busted his ass on transition so hard. Every time that the Blazers were running, you could see this big-ass van just barreling along the baseline every possession. Seeing a seven-foot-one dude just bust his ass every possession. I know it's the playoffs and you have to play harder, but seeing a dude just... I, I have, We have to win this game and I'm going to do everything I can to do it was just refreshing because... However you want to talk about it, Nurk doesn't do that every game, even in the playoffs. So to see a dude maybe bigger just bust his ass, was, was it was fantastic to see. I think the one play in this game that really s- summarized the early 90s Blazers happened, I think it was at the three, maybe the three or four minute mark, but KJ missed a shot. It was either Buck or Duck got the board right to Terry, right to Jerome. And Jerome's probably already at about the the three-point line uh, on Phoenix's end of the court. Doesn't even see Drexler. Like, oh, he's almost yeah. <laughs> He's looking like he's going out of bounds. Just does a no-look. And there's two Phoenix defenders coming at him. Does a no-look. Drexler catches it in stride across the court at around in between the three-point line and the elbow takes two steps and flushes it down, gave Portland a four-point lead, and that It was pretty play, late in the game, too. Yeah, late in the fourth quarter, three to four minute mark, we were up by two, it put us up 113, put us up like 113-109, and it didn't end the Suns, but that play epitomized the early 90s Blazers, and... It had, had to help for our momentum. They struck fear in every opposing coach with their fast break. It could happen in the bat of an eye. And I saw a highlight of another fast break dunk. It was, I believe, a behind-the-back pass to Clyde or Jerome for a one-handed flush. And it got me thinking, like, is that really the last time we've seen a true fast-breaking team in Portland? Because the the 2000 Blazers didn't do it, um, and we sure as shit didn't do it under Nate and haven't done it now. So I'm like, my God, can we get back to that style of basketball? Like, that's fun to watch. Like, being a, 
being last in the NBA in fast break points, like, you should lose your draft pick over bullshit like that. Like, Portland is a young, athletic team. Let's get up the fucking court. Like, let's go. That's what I pay to see. That entertains me. Well, Doug, like, like... It's easy points. It's easy money. It's like... I don't know what... It, maybe Terry doesn't trust our guards, but whatever. Like, you see those young bucks that come in. Noah, when he was in, Shabazz, Wade Baldwin. They fucking run up court, hands up, and then they don't get the ball for that easy dunk. And then you see them, like, run less and less hard, and then eventually they're just chilling, jogging up the court on the fast breaks. I think the play that got me, that, you know, caught my fancy the most was Clyde went to the line, uh, Jerome and uh, Tom Chambers were uh, boxing out for the uh, free throw. Jerome just pushes Tom Chambers down and then walks over him. No foul call. Nothing. It was just Tom Chambers looked so willing to just, oh, is this what you're trying to do, Jerome? Okay. <laughs> like, I had to rewind the YouTube clip like three times just to see all of the greatness that was Jerome Kersey just do, pulling like the biggest boss move over Tom Chambers, who are, is a very good basketball player. Just, you know, Tom didn't want any of that mess. <laughs> no, Jerome was a bad, bad dude. Like I would, I would love to have him in my corner. Um, another Rest in player, peace. RIP to Jerome and Duck. But another player that I'm glad Portland had in their corner was Buck Williams. Mm -hmm. You could tell that Buck made the difference in, in the game. Um, a modest stat line, 15 points, 6 of 14 shooting, 10 boards, 1 block, 1 steal. But in the clutch, when we needed it, I believe we were only up. We were up one point, and Phoenix had possession of the ball with like 30 or 40 seconds left. Tom Chambers gets the ball on the baseline. He clamps him up. The ball gets passed, I believe, to Hornacek, and he's swiping at the ball. He The ball goes on the floor. He's the first one on the ground mm -hmm. to get it. And it's so symbolic because there's that iconic shot of Buck Williams on the floor in Game 6 that secured the victory for Portland. He just ripped the fucking ball. I think it was away from Chambers. Like, the dude was first-team all-defense for a reason, and such a huge pickup that maybe without Buck Williams is my outlook on the Blazers different because I, I absolutely was, I was fortunate to grow up with those elite teams and you know winning is fun Sage it's fun watching mm -hmm. you know your team especially as a kid like he set the tone to soar to new heights and you know I'm, I'm thankful for Buck I'm thankful for that team and you know I, I know Portland fell short in that postseason but even looking at it, we should have won game one against the Pistons, ended up losing by six, won game two in OT. We went back to Portland for three straight at home. I believe the Pistons hadn't beat us in Portland in the last like 17 tries. Game three was the only really blowout. They beat us by 15. Game four, we lose by three. In game five, we lose by two. Like that series could have easily been 4-1 Portland. Yeah. Or it should have gone, should have gone seven. And it's frustrating that Portland has gotten so, so close on a number of times in my lifetime. 
to not walk away with the chip, but still incredibly thankful for that era. I always go back to that era when I want to watch an old game. Gorgeous basketball, amazing camaraderie. The chemistry was off the charts. Hard workers. They One busted, through eight. They busted their ass. And the spectacular. Like, all, so many amazing plays came from that era. I mean, there's that Nike poster. You got Terry, Jerome, and Buck coming at you, and the caption is just, uh-oh. Like, there's no fucking thing you can do about it. And I, that's why I loved watching them play mm-hmm. so much. Yeah, like... I, I kind of thought of Jerome as just, like, a defender slasher. But... In the game, he had jumper. He had a jump. He had a mid range, like the I call it the David West jumper. He has the David West jumper. He throws some pinpoint ass passes, like on the break, no look to Clyde, and then Clyde had like five otherworldly plays that game, like where you're just like, what the fuck did this guy just do? And then to see your star shooting guard absolutely dominate his uh, matchup for rebounds. Like, he had to have, like, four offensive rebounds just off those tips. The, the Kobe assists. Like, yeah, Clyde had ten boards, four offensive. Uh, Jeff Hornacek, uh, only had four boards. I mean, Hornacek's good, but Clyde just showed, like, he was the best person on the on that court that game, without yeah, a shadow of a doubt. Hornacek was a very good player, but what I loved is Portland had big guards, mm-hmm. and Clyde used to punish him against it when he, he was with the Suns. Up. They posted up, and when he was against the Jazz, and then later on in the decade, in '99 and 2000, we had J.R. Ryder, we had Steve Smith, we had Bonzi Wells. All of those dudes punished Hornacek in the post, and were really integral reasons why we were able to advance in, in those series. Um, you know, it's pretty amazing in clutch time in basketball. You go to your best plays, right? Well, it was like a Clyde Drexler post-up. When the, I mean, you don't see that. You don't see a shooting guard post-up in this day. Like, the only person I can honestly say that posts up is Drew Holiday. Like, there isn't any guards that have that skill. And to see that, like, differentiation and see Clyde just... Oh, I missed. I'm gonna get this rebound. No worries, Buck. I got this shit. Like, yeah, you know, I think obviously he played in the air with Jordan, but I still think Clyde gets slept on. A oh, bit. absolutely, man. I like, mean, you look at his stat line: 46 minutes. So again, we're talking about playing every other day and shouldering more of a load. 32 points, 13 of 24 from the field, gets to the line seven times, 10 boards, four assists, three steals, one block. Like, he filled out the stat sheet on a nightly basis like that. You know what's crazy? Uh, You know how much I love NBA 2K. You know, they have, like, a Mitchell Ness section. So, if you have a team that's been around for a long-ass time, you can wear, like, Mitchell Ness jerseys. There's no fucking Clyde Drexler, Portland Trailblazers, Mitchell Ness jersey in NBA 2K18. That's like the biggest disrespect. They went to the finals twice in that era. He, uh, like I said, like he wasn't a pure scorer by any means. He dribbled with his head down and only went to the right. But by God, you look at the stats she did at the end of the night and he's filling it up. He's giving you 
He's leading probably your leading scorer, rebounder, and possibly your assist, and he's out on the break. Um, just an incredible player that I thought he and Porter were they're just the quintessential backcourt. Like if I could think of any two like those two. And then to have Jerome as his running mate on those breaks, Doug? I mean, Jerome is he, he didn't shoot the three, but if you want to talk he had mini. He had minis, man. Yeah, he, he felt comfortable talk, too. You want to talk two and a half in D? I know people say three and D. He, two and a half in D. He's going to lock you up, and he's going to be one of the best breaking wings in the business. And he's going to be your hustle man as well. Buck Williams, first team all defense, led the league in field goal shooting. Kevin Duckworth, two time All Star, most improved player, uh, amazing on the pick and pop, and had a nice little baby jump hook and hedged unbelievably hard. For, for his three, size, for a three hundred pound dude, dude could move. Yeah, he he had nimble ass feet for how big of a person he was. You know, then you've got a six ten Uncle Cliffy, really ahead of his time. I'm still pissed we traded. Draws Pet- it. He looks so young. Looks, I mean, God, the talent was there. Um, Bucky Buckwalter and crew did just an, an amazing job of you know assembling. That that squad in you know Portland goes on to win to win the series, defeating the Suns in in six games. Uh, they took Game Five, one twenty, one fourteen, much closer than that due to the free throws at the end. And then they went into Phoenix, won one twelve, one oh five, to advance to the second finals in, in team history at, at the time. And you know, really thankful that that game is, is still up on YouTube. So if you have a chance, search for it. You will not be disappointed. Absolutely. I don't know if we should put it up on our link, but... uh, Just DM us if you want it. Yeah, if you want it, just let us know, and we'll hook you up. Because, I I mean, to prepare for this show, I watched the half again, and it was still like... like, Watching good basketball is a beautiful thing. This game can be so gorgeous when you play as a unit, not just two ball handlers and sharpshooters with a guy that could, you know, catch lobs and shit. Like, if you work as a team with passing, setting screens for one another, like, you could tell that they cared about one another at a deep level. And, like, fuck, like, the chemistry to, like, not even look at the dude, just know that this dude's there. Like, you don't see, like, who do you see that with? Like, I guess Chris Paul, Rondo, and LeBron? Is that the only dudes that have, like, that type of and to see like your your small your D in two and a half, unbelievable. It feels like feels like a good good stopping point. You got anything else, my friend? Uh nah, man. Be on the lookout for more shit, more, more content. Got a lot of stuff brewing. Uh, I've realized that art takes a long time to develop, and uh, you know, but a lot of stuff will be coming down the pipeline. A lot of creative stuff in the offseason. I wish you good luck in moving into your house. I can't wait to, you know, hang out with you at a real grown-up house. Um, You know, go go watch some Bruce Brown highlights. He's he's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rip City, you know where to find us. Holy Backboard. Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, 
Dash Radio 92.3 FM Tuesdays. Um, social. Facebook, Twitter, and the gram at Holy Backboard. You know the drill by now. Uh, if you have another TBT you want us to cover and we can find it on YouTube, hit us up in the comments. DM us on, uh, mention us on Twitter. Happy to go through any game we can find. Um, so yeah, let us know. We'll get past this off season. We'll get past this off season. We're about a month away from the draft, so we can do this. Just, just hang in there, Rip City. Uh, only a month to go until we finally get some, some Blazers action. This is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go!